On the field, in the broadcast booth, Ron Johnson is Minnesota sports. One of a kind opinions, big name guests, the teams you care about every 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 day. It's the Ron Johnson Show, part of Locked On Sports Minnesota, and it starts now. Welcome to the Ron Johnson Show, and I'm your host, Ron Johnson. Yes, again, my voice is hoarse. Why? My daughter is now the state qualifier champ. Her 10U team won the championship uh, 14-hour Sunday. We had a shorter Saturday. We only had to play two games Saturday because we won both. Um, but, of course, I think she hit, like, two home runs, I think, or three. But one of her home runs, of course, I'm screaming. Lost my voice again. So the good thing is next week we don't have any games or tournaments this week because we have a week off to just practice. And then the following weekend, state tournament, July 11th. So I get to relax. But the fact that they won their bracket for state qualifier, which means they're going to be putting a higher bracket. So I don't know how well they're going to do for state. So, <clears throat> But that's why my voice is yet again hoarse because I was screaming. A uh, lot of stories around that. We had a parent from another town, I won't say the city, uh, but got thrown out. So that was ridiculous that a 10U parent got thrown out of a stadium because he just could not keep his mouth shut. Um, but today's show, I'm excited. We get to talk Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins is in the top 10. I'll explain why. I don't know if it's good or bad, but hey, we're going to talk Kirk Cousins. We're also going to talk top three, daily three, sorry, and uh, Trey Waynes. He's in there. Is he done? Is he going to come back? Could he be a Viking? I mean, the Vikings could use another veteran cornerback. Maybe he'll come for cheap and come back home. But as I bring my producer, Sam Extraman, to the show, Sam, we're going to talk, you know, some other stuff later in the Daily Three. We're going to talk, you know, the Avalanche. They won. They are the champs. The Lightning could not three-peat. We'll get into that a little bit later as well. But as we talk about Kirk Cousins, my favorite topic, because, I mean, <laughs> why not? Kirk Cousins got voted top 10, but I don't think it's for the reason that I would like it to be top 10. Sam, please explain what you found. You got it. So PFF put together a list, the top 32 quarterbacks affected by pressure. And Kirk Cousins does come in in the top 10, but in this case, that is not a good place to be because he was the number 10 quarterback <clears throat> affected by pressure last year. Now, here's how they calculated it. They took the baseline passer rating. They took the difference between the baseline passer rating and the under-pressure passer rating, and that was the difference. So, for example, Jimmy Garoppolo, the most affected quarterback by pressure in the NFL, something like a 90 passer rating clean pocket, and like a 30 passer rating under pressure, so a difference of 60. So he was the most affected. Um, Kirk Cousins had a 93.7 when he was clean, and he had a 52 when he was under pressure. So a difference of about 41. Um, and that was the 10th most affected rate in the NFL. Uh, Ron, do you think that Kirk <clears throat> Cousins needs to improve his prowess under pressure to be considered a Super Bowl quality quarterback? So this is what I'll say about lists like this. I, I'm where Patrick Peterson stands. I don't know if you remember Patrick Peterson last year. Um, he made a comment about PFF and some of their grades. One, he said, these guys don't know anything about scheme. They don't know just because I'm in the area of a receiver. And this was Patrick Peterson, quote for quote, basically. Um, just because I'm in the area of a receiver does not mean that's the guy I'm supposed to cover. 
just because a receiver crosses my face and then catches the ball does not mean that's my guy. I'm in zone. Just because I jam him and then he releases inside to my nickel or my safety or my linebacker does not mean that's my guy. My job was to jam him and then get back into my area, which could be quarters, could be the the flat, whatever it might be. And he 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 kind of prefaces it to say, when we look at PFF, yeah, it's great to have, great to talk about, you know, guys do an awesome job with the numbers, but it, sometimes it just does not explain football. And, and where I go with this is your 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 bottom guys, Tua Jimmy Garoppolo, fine. We can argue they belong there. <clears throat> But then when you look at your top guy, what you said was Jalen Hurts. Yeah. Jalen Hurts wasn't good with the Eagles. He was okay. He was okay. Josh Allen was good with the Bills. And we can we I think there's another there's a topic for another day because I want to put some numbers together and then we're gonna dig back into this another day. Maybe tomorrow or to Wednesday, whatever. <clears throat> but this is what I would look at. Who has the best rating when the pocket is clean? Because that's gonna give you a good idea of a really good quarterback under pressure who has the best rating that's going to give you another indicator but then when you're looking at a pressure pocket is it just absolute jailhouse break or is it just a guy's in his lap you know what i mean there's so many different factors of pressure and we're not getting that and for those listening on the podcast i just did the air quotes pressure with air quotes because you don't know what that pressure looked like uh, what is the offensive line's grade compared to that quarterback? Uh, what was the pass play? What was the situation? All that goes into that. When you look at some of these guys that don't have a good rating with a clean pocket, and then they have a similar rating with a, 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 a pressure pocket, means nothing. That's just saying they're really bad, but then they're good when we do the difference. Like that's that's that to me does not truly give you what we consider a top quarterback. We know what that is. Look at the stats. Look at the other stuff, the interceptions. That's why I say for Kirk Cousins to be ranked, what, 32nd or 23rd, 24th, whatever that is, 22nd, 23rd, that means nothing to me. Like, Kirk Cousins doesn't deserve to, like, that That list to me just shows that, yeah, he has a 93 grade with a clean pocket. So what does that mean? He's a good quarterback. He's a great quarterback. The fact that with a clean pocket, he is a great quarterback, um, I mean, speaks for itself. Now, to your question, pressure. Does he need to get better with pressure? Well, two things with pressure can help. A coach that understands pressure. A coach that can explain when this pressure comes, this is what you need to do. When this blitz is shown, this is what I would like you to check to. When this possible, here's two plays in your headset. If they do this, run that play. If they do this, run that play. That's practice all week. I've seen the video, I don't know if you've seen it, of Peyton Manning and his running back goes the wrong way. I forgot who it was. Donald, I forgot his last name, but this was back when Peyton played. He had a running back, Donald was his name. Because mm-hmm. three-man rush, guy from the left comes scot-free, Donald whatever goes right to block. Nobody's over there. He should have went left. He's scan blocking is what they call it. You scan, the, so you don't pick a side. Just scan and wait for color, and then you go help color. He goes the wrong way. All you hear, because Peyton is either mic'd up or one of the mics on the sideline called it. Peyton says, damn it, Donald. And he takes off running. (laughs) (laughs) So clearly Peyton is like, it's scan protection, dude. What are you doing? Why are you just going right and there's no color over to the right? And this guy came on my left blind side scot-free. 
And so that's that's what I look at when you talk about that. In that instance, Peyton could do nothing. Why? Because the running back went the wrong way. Does that make Peyton Manning a bad quarterback because he couldn't figure out where to throw the ball to? No. Is it a bad quarterback because he took a negative two-yard loss as he ran because he can't run? No. That just means somebody blew the blocking scheme. That's why I don't really like that clean versus dirty pocket. The fact that he's a 93 quarterback with a clean pocket, that's all I need to see. But to answer your question, yes, he does have to get better with pressure. But pressure, help, is coming. It's it's here. Like winter. Winter is coming. Winter is here. Kevin O'Connell is here. He is here to help Kirk Cousins become that. I'm going to help you the same way I helped Jared Goff, the same way we helped Matthew Stafford. We are going to help you, Kirk, figure this out of how to get your team to the Super Bowl. That's my take. What do you think, Sam? You know, I actually somewhat agree with you on this Kirk Cousins topic, which is rare. Cherish this moment because I'm going to side with you on this because when you look at the the top four out of five um, on this <clears throat> list, you've got um, Daniel Jones, Jared Goff, um, Carson Wentz, and Teddy Bridgewater. You've got four out of the five best, like, or most unaffected by pressure, and those are very average quarterbacks, which, again – it's not that hard to just you know wake up and go to the stadium and get a 40 passer rating under pressure because um, you're only going to have like 10, 11 throws per game under pressure. So if you complete a handful of those, yeah, you're going to have a baseline. Um, but their, their clean pocket ratings were so low that the difference was low. So you, your, point, your point stands. Secondly, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, if I recall, Kirk Cousins has actually had a – pretty good pressure passer rating in the past. Maybe it went down a little bit last year, but he's actually been better under pressure than people give him credit for where he struggles is like, I think he's courageous to stand in the pocket with a guy in his face and make a throw. That's not his problem. His problem is if he doesn't have a throw, he's probably going down. He doesn't have the mobility to sidestep somebody and extend the play. That's probably his biggest flaw is his lack of mobility to escape that first rusher Whereas like a Lamar, totally different quarterback, they're making the first man miss every single time. Kirk is going to have a tough time if it's just one guy who gets beat on the line. Even if he's one-on-one with a lineman, he's probably going to lose that battle. That's the Kirk Cousins issue. But I think this list is, is less of an issue than other, you know, th- this is not the, uh, the end-all be-all for Kirk Cousins. And I agree with you on that. We agreed on Kirk. I mean, this has to be a momentous day. What is this? June 27th. It's the Ron and Sam agree about Kirk Cousins Day. This is going to be a national day going forward. Uh, But I want to thank you guys for joining us in the first segment. Coming up next, Sam's just going to throw some stuff out at me. I think we're going to talk a little hockey. But stay tuned for that as we jump into can the Minnesota Wild, can they get to the Stanley Cup final? They have some pieces of the puzzle they have to figure out. But can they get to the Stanley Cup final? We'll discuss that next on the Ron Johnson Show. Next up on the Ron Johnson Show, Sam and I are going to jump into championship culture. Why? Well, my dad won two Super Bowls with the Pittsburgh Steelers, so I've heard a ton about it. Tony Dungy, I coach with him. He talked about championship culture. I've been around a lot of coaches and a lot of players that have won. I was in the Ravens locker room, and they had just come off winning a Super Bowl in 2000. I got there in 2001, 2002. So I heard a lot from Brian Billick about that, about championship culture and what that looks like. Well, as I bring Sam Ekstrom in, we're going to talk championship culture. 
We're going to talk Minnesota Wild. Jason Zucker brought up some great points about hockey compared to football and basketball. Um, And the question he posed to me, Sam, the Colorado Avalanche, four to two, they got it done. I think I did say the Tampa Bay Lightning would not repeat. I I don't remember, but I think I said it would be too hard. Uh, But the Colorado Avalanche got it done. And Jason Zucker brought that up like, it the, the the NHL final doesn't get as blown up as the NBA. Like even the headline today, it just kind of said Colorado Avalanche win four to two. You know, it's like it wasn't a big parade on ESPN. It wasn't like they're not going to show. Like they showed Steph Curry and his wife, and then his brother in law and his sister. You know, on the boat on the they they show Clay Thompson fall, and they show Matthew Stafford when he won, knocking a reporter off the stage or a reporter fell off the stage. <laughs> And then she got canceled pretty quick when they went to her Twitter. Um, but you see that with 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 football. You know, you saw the Tom Brady stuff. Um, you see that with football. You see that with basketball. Um, we I have not kind of paid attention to baseball, but I don't think it's as big as those two. But then hockey, it's like another blip on the radar. Like it's like bloop, and then it keeps moving. Um, one, Sam, why is that? Do you think? I mean, I guess we can kind of talk about that a little. And does that and is that why wild fans, I guess, aren't as like crazed about them not getting there? Because I feel like Vikings fans constantly talk about the fact they haven't won. Um, Timberwolves fans constantly bring it up that they need to get a championship, and it's so heartbreaking. Uh, but wild fans just kind of say, "Well, season's over. All right, let's let's get the rinks back up at some point. You know, we'll get back on our skates." Mm-hmm. And let's move on. Let's go to the cabin. Let's go to the boat. Um, when I look at the Avalanche being in <clears throat> the same air, you know, conference that the 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 Wild possibly would have to get through them to make it to a final, uh, unless somebody else does them a favor and knocks them off, can the Wild get there? Right now, I'm going to say yes, and this is why. Jason Zucker pointed out a great point. Hockey is the one sport where the players matter more during the game, meaning football. Coaches are kind of up there because they have to call some of these plays. They have to get the guys lined up. They have to, you know, do all this stuff. Basketball, it's a little bit more player-driven, but there's still some coach sets. There's some calls. There's some defenses. There's some subs. Hockey is just like, I got to have my line upset. First line, second line, third line, fourth line. These guys know when I yell out a line, they go out. Um, but on the ice is just continuous play of players for 45 to 90 seconds, depending on what kind of player he is. Um, that has to get it going. And so if the Wild can find the right recipe of guys that when they're on the ice in the big moments, they can get it done. They're willing to take pucks in the face for their goalie to keep, you know, to keep the, the front of the net clean. They're willing to, to fight when it's necessary. They're willing to, to just brawl and, and be a heavy body leaning on a guy to, to wear them out. They're going to, you know, they're going to communicate well and make the passes that are, that are necessary to win. They're going to play together. So I think they could get it done, but the Avalanche, Clearly, we're the dominant team this year. We talked about that mm-hmm. earlier. Um, I, I just don't know. But I, I think it's the pieces. It's Fiala coming back. You know, can they, you know, is Bukestead coming back? You know, you know the guys that they thought might have helped them out in certain spots. But Kirill Kaprizov, we know he's one. Can they find a 1A? You know, can they find that second guy to skate with them to always be there? That's the question. I don't know because I'm not a hockey guy, so I have no idea if they can find that guy. But from a culture standpoint, when you look at Garen, I think he has it. I think he has that mindset of a winner, of a champion. I think he knows what it's going to take to get over the hump. Uh, Dean Everson has to, you know, same thing. He has to, they have to work together. 
you know, GM and head coach. That's everywhere. That's football. That's that not so much basketball. That's football. You know, you have to work together. I guess basketball could say that because of the players they bring in, but you see it more in football when you talk about Rick Spielman Zimmer, you talk about Quasey and Kevin O'Connell, you know, those guys you talk about Bill, Bill Belichick and himself. <laughs> like those guys have to work together. <laughs> so my answer, my short answer is right now, no, I don't think they can get there with the avalanche the way they're playing. But couple pieces who knows but i'm gonna say no because the avalanche didn't have like a big huge like zucker said a big huge name where everybody's like oh Sidney crosby's in the final you know it was just a bunch of guys that are good but it's it's not the name of names when you're like oh man you know they have this guy they have you know like the the the, the new york team and you know some of these other teams with these big name guys um you just didn't have that guy for the avalanche but that maybe that's not the answer maybe it is a bunch of guys that skate together play well together and they just are on the same page i don't know yeah, there's a lot of guys that compete in your average hockey game. You don't, you can't win with one star. Um, you need a bunch of depth. And I thought the Wild had that this year. I thought they had all the ingredients, the goaltending, the scoring, the depth, the culture. I thought this was the year. So I think that's what's frustrating is that you didn't even get past the first round. You didn't get a chance to prove yourself against Colorado. Right. And Colorado was kind of the rare team that was the best in the league, I think, probably hands down, and they actually went and won the thing. A lot of times the best teams get upset because hockey is a random sport. Now that could play into the Wild's hands too because they could be the team that benefits from from the randomness. They could be an, an underdog that makes a run. The problem is, is that because of your cap situation and they're still kind of paying off those Parisian suitor contracts, you might not be able to afford Kevin Fiala. All indications are they probably can't, so they don't have that one that one B to Kirill Kaprizov's 1A scorer. Um, so they might get worse from a talent standpoint. And that's frustrating when you had all the ingredients, you're still pretty young. This is not like an old hockey team. Um, and you, because of those kind of lingering Suter and Parisi contracts, you can't spend a lot of money and you might regress as a, as a hockey team talent wise. So you're going to have to lean on your culture. Number one, um, your coaching and your goaltending. Can they get a really hot goalie? going next year i think that's a pretty big key to playoff success um and the wild are going to need that i think to advance deep into next year's playoffs um it's going to be a tough road it's always a tough road to win a stanley cup but um the avalanche proved i think how far maybe the wild or how much further they were than we thought when when the playoffs began yeah and and so when you look at the west for basketball you got the timberwolves seven seed can they get better We'll find out when all the these draft picks start getting in here for their you know summer league, and we get to see some of these guys play. Um, we'll see where they land. I think the 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 Vikings, I think, are right there. I mean, you have to really start dominating the Packers with Aaron Rodgers. Like, we can't expect somebody to hurt Aaron Rodgers' collarbone again, like Anthony Barr, to you know get a win, get to be considered the top team in the NFC North. They just gotta you gotta knock on the Giants' door, and you gotta knock it down. Um, I, with the Wild. I think they're right there. I mean, we we saw gr- glimpses of greatness of scoring in bunches on the Blues, and then the Blues went in and, and almost got it done as well. So I feel like between the Blues and the Wild, either one would have had a similar games versus the Avalanche. Um, but I, I do feel like maybe the twin or the Twins, the the Wilds fans would have been a little bit better and crazier to be in that you know that second part of the um, final. Mm-hmm. And, or playoff um yeah it's just it's 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 hard to see when you see 
you know, the scores, the guys, you know, and then you look at the wild and you're everybody saying that, like, who's going to help Kaprizov? Like nobody really stepped up. You know, you were hoping Fiala would be the guy where you see tweets now of Kevin Fiala's face on a milk carton with playoffs, you know, like they couldn't find him. But, you know, with that said, I think Jason Zucker said it best. And you said it just then. Hockey is the great equalizer because it's just a bunch of guys on the ice skating for 45 to 90 seconds. The best group of players are going to win. It's all about chemistry. It might not be. I mean, the Avalanche might have it. It's not. Maybe it's not paying one guy a ton of money and then having a bunch of little pieces. It's having a whole bunch of little pieces. And everybody is, you know, you got a bunch of guys that you can pay average salaries to. And when I say average, still millions, but average million salaries to, but still have a good group and be able to, you know, not be cap strapped where you're, you know, you're working within that cap to get a, a, a handful of guys and some great depth on the bench. Um, that's the key. Cause I mean, I, I don't really understand it, but I get it. Cause it's just like subbing in your backup receivers or whatever. And they were saying they the, the wilds third and fourth lines, they weren't getting a lot out of them at times, you know, sometimes they were, and then sometimes they would just be out there. Um, their special teams were really good though. They were doing great with the penalty kills and when they had the power play. Um, is that the answer? Is it is a guy that uh, irritated like a Patrick Beverly of hockey that you can get a guy <laughs> to constantly get people out? You know, maybe that's the answer. I don't know who that is. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know if somebody needs to take that role on and become an agitator. Um, but you know, you, you see that when I, I watched the, uh, I don't know if it was avalanche, uh, red wings 30 for 30 on ESPN, but they talked about like mm-hmm. how their rivalry was and how guys constantly were seeking out guys to knock out and throw into the glass and, you know, guys leaving with stitches and, you know, like you don't see that from the wild. You didn't see guys that were seeking out guys to really just say, I'm going to I'm going to mess with this guy until he does something to get thrown out or I'm going to get him out of here by just, uh, you know, and you don't want to purposely hurt guys, but you get where I'm going with this. So I think the wild can get it done. But I, I don't think like next year, unless, like I said, unless that roster, like you said, the salary cap changes where they can get, you know, some pieces in there to help with depth. But Kapur Kaprizov needs help. Like he's Batman, but he needs Robin or he's Captain America. He needs an Iron Man like he needs help. But that'll do it for segment two of the Ron Johnson show. Up next, it's the one and only Daily Three. Sam's going to throw some questions out and I'm going to answer them. Stay tuned for that. Well, up next on the Ron Johnson show with Sam Ekstrom, my producer, throwing the questions at me. That's the Daily Three. That's three questions, three minutes each. Take it away, Sam. Ron, what do you know about pitching? The Twins need a pitching coach. Maybe it can be you. Maybe it can be someone from uh, from the softball team. Because Wes Johnson, they're, I mean, I wouldn't say a longtime pitching coach, but he's been the guy from the entire time Rocco Bal- Baldelli's been here. This is fourth year as the pitching coach. He is leaving after the Cleveland series to take the job at LSU. He's going back to college where he began his career. And uh, and that's honestly pretty stunning news. A midseason change for a major league baseball pitching coach um, when the Twins are you know leading the division and independent race. So, Ron, what do you make of that situation? Do you do you hold it against Wes Johnson for that move? Do you think that that's shady on the coach's part? So there's two things to this. I'll never question a man making a decision for him and his family. Like we have to do what we have to do because the Twins, if they were having a bad season. Pitching sucked. They would fire Wes Johnson without question. Like they would, they would not even think twice. They fire or move on, find a new pitching coach. 
Um, so when you have to protect yourself sometimes and go to a decision or a place where you feel a little bit more job security, you feel a little bit better. Uh, you look at the, the twins bullpen. I mean, I'm pretty sure he's not out. The, he's not out there signing uh, pitchers. It's the, it's the GM, you know? And so maybe he wasn't happy with, as we all talked about the pit, they, you know, trade deadline, the twins need to find another pitcher. They need one more arm in there to really help them out. They need, you know, whether it's an ace or whether it's just more depth, um, they need to try to trade for somebody, blah, blah. We all, we kept talking about that. So maybe he just that's that's where he's at. You know, maybe he's just like, look, I, I got to get out of here. Like, this is not going to be a great situation long term for me. Um, you mentioned to me that some of these college baseball contracts can be pretty lucrative. Um, also, with more freedom, maybe maybe with some other stuff in there. Um, college, you're not playing 162 games, so maybe you get a little bit more time. And not, when I say a little, I mean a lot more time with your family um, because as a pitching coach, you're really not recruiting. You're just out on the road looking at high school pitchers, um, and you're letting the college coach know what you think about the guys out there. Um, so there's a lot involved in that when you think about time uh, spent, you think about uh, money, if it's pretty similar or, or even more in college, and then you have less time on the field, less time on the road. Um, I don't know. That's kind of hard to walk away from when you get more time with your family. I mean, who wouldn't, I mean, like, let's just say for instance, the, the twins were paying him a million and LSU offers him 900,000, but then the season goes from 162 games. So I think in college is only about 30 games plus then the world series and all that stuff. I mean, come on now, (laughs) like you get a summer vacation, you know, you, you get Christmas back with your kids and family. Like there's no baseball in the winter for college because these kids are in school. You're not doing anything besides maybe taking a couple flights to look at some kids throw indoor pitching, you know, with, with their pitching coach. I mean, come on now. Like that's a huge. So, no, I don't I don't take that against them for leaving. No. The work life balance thing. I totally get it. I mean, if you can make the same money and have a college baseball schedule versus an MLB baseball schedule, hey, more power to you. I think my only question is, did LSU need him now? Like, could, could it have waited until October 1st, season's over, and then he makes the switch You know, instead of midseason? Because, correct me if I'm wrong, the college baseball season is done. Yeah. So I, <clears throat> I know there's off-season practice, but you got summer break, you come back to school, and then Wes Johnson shows up first part of October – that to me seemed like a reasonable agreement between the two sides. Um, so the fact that it is a midseason switch, it does leave the Twins in a bit of a lurch. But they've got a big staff, they've got an assistant pitching coach who will fill in. Um, you just don't see it very often. It, no. it, it's kind of rare at this level. So that that'll be interesting to see how the Twins fare, and and maybe he'll have uh, some final motivational tactics that can get the Twins to win a few games in Cleveland this week. Five game series starting tonight. All right, Trey Waynes, Ron, uh, first-round Vikings draft pick in 2015. He moved on to Cincinnati, of course, spent two injury-riddled years there, and he implied that his career is over. He said he he believes he's done playing football. Uh, now, if if it is the end for Trey Waynes, Ron, what's the verdict on his career in your eyes? <clears throat> so when you look at Trey Waynes, you look at his, his, his stats. Um, career game, 79. When you look at interceptions, he only had seven. He had no touchdowns, um, but he also was not picked on a lot. You know, you look at um, certain games where they were facing teams that a lot of teams went at, even though we didn't understand why, 
uh, a lot of teams went at Xavier Rhodes. Well, one reason was because Xavier Rhodes was kind of always covering the number one guy. You can't go away from your number one guy in the NFL. College, yeah, you, you just go everywhere. But in the NFL, look, if you're on Jamar Chase, I'm still going to throw at Jamar Chase. If you're on Randy Moss, I'm still throwing it to Randy Moss. So Trey Waynes was always on wide receiver two uh, because or whatever, short side of the field. So you Xavier Rhodes got a ton of targets his way, which is probably the wear on tear of his body. What I say for Trey Waynes is, was, was his uh, you know career. You look at the uh, five years in Minnesota, pretty good career. You know, it didn't have a lot of interceptions, didn't have a lot of splash plays. I was more Xavier Rhodes, but he got money. You know, went to Cincinnati as well, uh, got money. Got you know the 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 the, the Vikings weren't going to pay him what he wanted. We all knew that they were going to move on from him. Um, I'd say it was it's. I mean, it's he did something that not a lot of guys get to do. I mean. You get five. I mean, the average NFL career is three point four years. He played five plus six, one one with Cincinnati. Um, and so, when you think about a, a five to six year career, I mean, he wasn't. It wasn't like he was a, 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 a. He started like he wasn't like he was some slouch. So it's hard to to quantify a cornerback um, that doesn't have a ton of splash plays like Deion Sanders or even Xavier Rose. Mm-hmm. You know, like Xavier Rose was called out for being. You know, one of the top shutdown corners, a pro bowler. Uh, Trey Waynes was always second fiddle to him. So I would just say he was a serviceable cornerback. He did a great job. He almost won a Super Bowl with the, with the Bengals. I mean, I don't know if he did much, but he almost won one. Like, he almost had a ring. He was a Super Bowl participant. He went there. Um, so I forgot he was on the team until I saw his wife post up about the Super Bowl. And I was like, oh, uh, yeah, I forgot he was with Cincinnati. Um, which would be even funnier if he won a Super Bowl with Cincinnati than I think, you know, with Vikings, Minnesota people try to claim a Trey Wayne Super Bowl because, you know, he was ours first. <laughs> but yeah, one. no, he got, well, but, uh, you know, I'd say good career, solid, you know, nothing where it's like, oh my God, he got beat like a drum. Um, his biggest thing, like, or I guess deficiency would be his hands because Xavier Rose always made jokes that Trey Wayne's had hands like feet. Um, and, and so he would always say, man, he, 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 cause he, he had a lot of, he had a lot of pass breakups, but he was like, man, he can't catch. I've also tried to play basketball. He can't play basketball either. So, um, yeah, I'd say he had a good career. I'd say it was a solid career. I think injuries can mentally wear on you. And then when you leave your team, that's why Anthony Barb don't overlook comfort. Like if I can make 20 million or I can make 17 million, $3 million is a lot of money. I would take that in a heartbeat, um, th- like with no question. And that's why for some people who have not made $50 million, $3 million is a lot. But for people that have made a lot of money, sometimes they're like, you know what? That $3 million is not worth my mental health. Like I'm going to make 17 instead of 20 but I get to stay home. I don't have to move. My family's comfortable. I know my teammates. I know my friends. I know my daily routine. I know my route to work. Like there's so much involved in that when you have to pick your family up and completely move across the world. Uh, not sometimes not too far, but move state to state, um, no family support, uh, nobody to really be around, no friends. Sometimes the money's not worth it, but that's kind of my take on it. Yeah. You know, I think if you are good enough to yield a second contract in this league and, and not just a, a minimum, a large second contract where some team invests tens of millions in you, which Cincinnati did in Trey Wayne. So Trey Wayne's got his payday. Um, he was a reliable corner on a playoff Vikings team, so he has that on his resume. I, I think it's a good career. I mean, certainly there are plenty of first-rounders that that don't even have that much success. 
and Trey Waynes did get to enjoy some really good years in Minnesota. The Cincinnati thing will leave a sour taste in people's mouth, um, but the guy had pretty good success, made a lot of money, and he gets to walk away, you know, in theory with his health, assuming that he, you know, recovers from whatever it is that's been ailing him. I think it was lower body stuff. Um, but, you know, he's got his mind. He's got um, a lot of money in the bank. I think he's had a good, good career. Um, last one for you, Kyle Sloter, Ron. Do you remember the name Kyle Sloter, former Vikings oh, yeah. backup for years? He uh, has surfaced in the USFL this year and actually had one of the best seasons of any of the USFL quarterbacks. I've got his stats. 1,798 yards, that's second in the league, nine touchdowns. I don't know how long the season was. I haven't watched two seconds of uh, the USFL, but I guess that was fifth. Touchdowns, nine. Um, And then he, I think he threw like 11 interceptions, so that's not great. But, Ron, my question to you, did the NFL give up too soon on Kyle Sloter? Um, no, I, I don't think so. So the one thing about the NFL quarterback is there's only so many and the order you get, the tougher it is sometimes to be a backup. If you're not mentally like, like Sean Mannion, for instance, he's giving Kirk Cousins everything he needs to succeed. Uh, you look at Jim Sorgi, who was Peyton Manning's backup for years. Uh, you look at Dan Orlovsky, who was the backup to uh, Matthew Stafford. Uh, there's certain guys that just are smart enough to warrant being the backup quarterback. And then they have enough ability to, for coaches to feel like, you know what, if our quarterback goes down, I feel like he can get it done. Um, I'm not going to say they gave up on Kyle Sloter. Kyle Sloter, um, he would have been a great backup to like Kyler Murray, um, Jalen Hurts, um, um, even like Lamar J. Because his style of play fits that of a quarterback that can move around a little bit. Um, and the Vikings offense, when you're the backup to Kirk Cousins, there is no offensive sets built for you to just move and run and get out of the pocket. Like they just didn't have that. So he was forced to be a pocket passer in an offense that he like. I mean, when he was the best, you know, I think it was a San Francisco game. Maybe he came back and, and won the overtime or the game. But, or maybe he for, he didn't force overtime because he, he scored. But he did like a game-winning drive in the preseason, and the fans loved it. And they were, oh, my God, Kyle Sloter's my quarterback one. But what did he do on those plays? He improvised. He ran around. He scrambled. Like that's that's what services him the best. When you look at the USF, I watched a couple a couple of like minutes of some games because I was going to um, – they actually were going to have me do one of the final four games on Fox. Um Fox was, I think Fox was getting, or NBC. I can't remember who I think it was Fox was getting it or NBC was getting it, but they, I got called and said, Hey, can you, can you get to Mobile if we have this game on Memorial Day weekend or something like that or whatever? It got, it, I think it ended up getting canceled and pushed back to a Tuesday, which I couldn't do. Um, but yeah, I got the call to do it. So I, I started watching some of it, you know, knowing that possibly when this championship Final Four happens, they might need me for one of the games. Um, <clears throat> and as I'm watching it, like it was okay, it wasn't great. Football, it was okay football. Um, it wasn't like a ton of ingenuity in some of the play calling. The the camera angles sometimes were a little bit weird because they were trying to get like a, a fan experience cam where it felt like, you know, you're in the game mm. and just some of the angles were off. But, you know, you could clearly see the speed of which like the defensive guys are moving were not the same as the NFL. So, no, I don't think they gave up on them too soon. Yeah, I, I can't count the number of tryouts he had, of practice squad spots he had. I mean, the guy, he did have a lot of opportunities, not just the Vikings, and he, he never stuck anywhere. And I know the Vikings' issue with him was it's just the mental preparedness. I mean, he, he can improvise and he can freelance, but 
can you trust him to run the right. offense? And I think the answer was no. Right. And that's probably the answer for a lot of teams when they had him in there. And, and, and again, sometimes like Kirk Warner, some guys get given up on and then they come back and they prove everybody wrong. Kirk Warner did it. Kirk Warner did it. I don't know if Kyle Slaughter would do that. But that'll do it for the Ron Johnson Show today. I want to thank everybody who has downloaded the iP- the uh, podcast and taking it wherever they go, wherever they get their podcast. I also want to thank those that continue to watch us and support us on YouTube. Please subscribe, share, comment, and have a great day.